Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Book Network podcast. I'm Deidre Tyler, host today. We will be talking with Peter Montoya, author of The Second Civil War, A Citizen's Guide to Healing Our Fractured Nation. I wonder if you could begin the interview by saying something about yourself and how you became interested in this project. Oh, that's a wonderful question. I'm so glad that you asked. Uh, I like to think of myself as a red-blooded, patriotic American, and I found myself getting further and further entrenched into hatred of my fellow countrymen to the point once about three years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, my father-in-law was sending out his weekly political thoughts email. And um, I replied to that email in a really, really nasty and vile way. In a way, it was completely unbecoming to the nature of our relationship. About two or three days later, I went back and reread what I wrote to him, and I realized it was completely inappropriate, completely uncalled for. And I had to ask myself, what was I doing? <laughs> I, I don't talk like that. I don't think like that. What had I caught myself caught into where I was actually you know, thrashing out at the people that I loved most. So it it led me down a path of self-discovery to try to figure out what was happening with us as Americans that were fighting so viciously with one another. Why are we so divided? Now, in your book, you talk about human beings needing to survive and thrive and pursue happiness. How are we doing this? Not as well as we probably think we should be. It's been really well documented that if you look at what makes people live longer, happier, and more fulfilling lives, it turns out it's not money as being the main cause. It's not fame. uh, It's not possessions. What it is is relationships. So having a wide net of interconnected, intimate relationships is what helps us flourish most. Uh, And we are largely pursuing the opposite means of that right now. Uh, We're trying to throttle each other's necks politically. We're trying to possess more things, have more stuff, and we're largely more isolated on our technology and our devices rather than being in relationship with one another. You talk about fighting like Captain America, and you give some really good advice here for the hazardous behavior. Can you share that? <laughs> oh, that's a, a, a great question. And when we look at Captain America, it's so a wonderful archetype because he always is magnanimous. He always seems to rise above the fray and he never does things out of vengeance or personal, uh, some kind of personal motivation. It's not personal for him. It's always uh, uh, about justice and also trying to do what's in the best interest of the country. And we should take a page um, out of his book, out of his book of character, and behave much in the same way. So some of the things that I recommend to my fellow Americans, number one is to de-affiliate from a political party. There really is no benefit to us as individual Americans to belong to a political party. 
I know that sounds antithetical to a lot of people. There's a lot of benefit to the political parties to having us be uh, members of their party because it has a voter base and it has a, don- a donor base. It has a group of people who are ready to vote and donate to their cause. However, what it does to us is it largely only spoon feeds us what we're supposed to think and it removes our critical thinking faculties. So I highly recommend, first of all, that we de-affiliate from a political party, become completely independent, and be willing to look at the merits of each um, policy and or each party or each candidate on their merits. Because as soon as you affiliate with a party, you are incredibly biased. Uh, Bias means an inclination to behave a certain way. And that bias is no way looking at that bias is an error in reasoning. And we want to reduce the amount of reasoning. So that's one of the most fundamental is you put America first and put party way down the list. Now, you gave us a distinction between partisanship and patriotism. Can you share that with us? Yeah. Partisanship is putting your party first, and patriotism is putting your country's interests first. And largely what happens when we go to the ballot box is we have heard a bunch of sound bites from um, our uh, echo chamber that usually say we need to fight for our party to gain power. We need to make sure that our party wins. And that is putting party over country. What I really hope that every American does is they think whenever they're looking at a policy or they're looking at a candidate or a party, they're constantly asking the question, what is in the best interest of the country? Not what is in the best interest of my side or my party. Uh, you really want to put the country first. And let me very be very specific about what I mean by country because the word country can be really abstract to most people, obtuse. They think of the country being the uh, geographic borders. They might think of the country being some of our great monuments and the flag and the troops. No, The country really is the 330 million Americans living in it. And you can't say, I love love my country while hating half the people in it. Those two ideas are incompatible with one another. So when you say, I love my country, it means I love the 330 million people who live in it. Now you talk about the online communities and how these mobs are exploding. Tell us about this in the conspiracy theories. Yes. So what we've discovered uh, is online mobs uh, do exist. So it's more popularly called cancel culture. But the truth is this cancel culture, which is largely identified with the left, actually exists equally on both sides. Uh, Both the left and the right uh, enact what we'll call online character assassination on members of the opposite tribe and primarily on members of their own tribe. So if somebody spouts a viewpoint that the mob doesn't agree with, they'll take either part or, or all, uh, all of their statement or part of their statement, and they'll point at this person and say, look at how ideologically impure this person is. This person is against us, and this person should be uh, shunned from our group. And they will get everyone else to jump on and attack this person, not usually attacking their argument, but usually attacking the person to get them to shout, shout them down and basically expel themselves from the conversation. And like I said, this happens on both sides. And what's actually worst is 
it's blue on blue or red on red, which means that liberals attack other liberals who they don't see as being ideologically pure enough, and conservatives will attack conservatives who they don't think are uh, ideologically conservative enough. And when you have parties who are attacking themselves for not passing uh, an ideological litmus test, what it turns into is a greater extreme. It makes the parties more ideologically extreme um, when you have uh, that kind of cancel culture or what I call mob uh, assassination, character assassination. Now, you also said in the book that one in three Americans feel that we'll have a second world war. Uh, Yeah, it's really heartbreaking. For the first time since the Civil War, uh, Americans hate uh, Americans, other Americans, more uh, than they hate or fear another country. So there is a, a rising tension that we are really worried about more outbreaks of physical violence. Now, I'm actually, even though my book is called The Second Civil War, I really do not believe that we're going to have a, a widespread military style of war. We could continue to see uh, acts of domestic terrorism, which we have seen uh, in the last couple of years. This means shootings in the streets, bombings, car attacks on sidewalks, horrible, horrific acts like that. And there have been about 50, between 50 and 100 of those per year. That number could increase. I certainly hope it doesn't. Violence is terrible, absolutely horrible for democracies. But there probably will not be militias in the street doing street-by-street fighting. We have far too much that binds us together um, than tears us apart. But still, that fear is very, very real um, among most Americans. You know, in Chapter 2, you talk about anxiety and fear. Tell us how this is exploding, especially in the online communities. Yeah, anxiety and and fear uh, is the great cancer of any democracy. What makes democracies work is that of trust, and trust flourishes in peace. So when we behave civilly to one another, when we have a rule of law, when we're not worried about our physical safety, uh, we are able to have more friends over, we're able to talk more freely, we're able to um, have ideation and create new businesses and do new research and move our country forward. So with our increasing anxiety, people are becoming more and more isolated into their homes. They're more and more attached to their digital devices, usually their phones. And those phones really have become anxiety, fear driven machines. So the major media companies, the cable news, social media news, social media is largely driven on either sensationalism or on fear. And what they largely do is they demonize the outside group, whoever that outside group might be, to make you more fearful and less likely to want to leave your home or interact with other people or socialize or create businesses. So yeah, the these attacks 
attachments to our devices is are really bad for us collectively as a democracy and also horrible for us as human beings. We need human to human contact and less device uh, uh, contact. So technology is at its worst when it's keeping us from having a conversation from the person we're sitting next to, sitting, sitting next to. And technology is at its best when it facilitates real-world interactions. Now, you have a quiz in your book, and I thought this is really a good tool to evaluate things. Tell the audience about that tool. So we created a series of questions to asking people uh, the varying levels of news awareness and fear uh, about the country, about certain policies, and it basically gave them a guide to help them understand how bad the Civil War is. So the Civil War, I mean, this current second Civil War that we're in, is completely a construct. Um, it, it exists only in people's minds. It doesn't exist actually uh, on the streets. So the battleground for the second civil war is actually occurring in our minds by different political parties, political figures, uh, talking heads, conspiracy theorists. They're all fighting for our, our attention, trying to fear us. We give more of our attention, scare us, trying to give more of our, our attention to one of their news outlets so they can sell more advertising. That's largely how the game is being, the war is being fought right now. It's being fought in our minds. So what the test does in my book is helps you understand how deep you are into this world, how much you're being victimized by political parties, cable news networks, social media networks. So you can realize that you're the one being exploited and you can stop the second civil war anytime you choose to you can choose yourself out of that war at any time you choose now you also said we need a hero uh not blind hero worshiping explain that hero worship is a human phenomenon where we put people on pedestals and we don't look at look at we'll will not recognize uh, any of their faults it is blind hero worship everything we they do we assume is good and anything that they might be do that might be bad we tend to just kind of wish away or just say it doesn't exist so hero worship is really really dangerous it is the tool of populists authoritarians dictators mass murderers those are the people who use these techniques to get hero, hero worship going kind of a charismatic leader type so their followers will do really horrible awful things so I really believe, sincerely believe, that 99.9% or more of all Americans are really good, wonderful, loving, caring people. And a lot of them right now are doing really bad things. And the way you get good people to do bad things is you convince them that another group is trying to take advantage of them. And once they believe because of this you know, blind hero worship that, that uh, they've been taken advantage of by some other group, then they will do whatever they think is justified, 
violently more uh, or through mob character assassination to get back control because they feel they've been violated. So blind hero worship is really the pathway uh, to immorality uh, and violence. You know, in your book, you talk about the death of tolerance and you, you, you give us some really good advice here. Yeah, yes. Um, so I, I'm not a big fan of tolerance just by itself. So we certainly know what intolerance is. And, and let me uh, give you the definition of bigotry. Most people think that bigotry only applies uh, to race, but actually to be a bigot is to be intolerant of another person's uh, beliefs or opinions. And turns out that many Americans today are actually bigots, which means they're intolerant of other people's opinions or beliefs. Um, so that's the intolerance part. To be tolerant is to say, well, I understand that you have different opinions than I do, and I'm going to tolerate them. So to be intolerant is to walk apart from somebody. To be tolerant is to stumble along with somebody. And what I really am recommending is that we are inclusive. And to be inclusive is to walk together arm in arm and really to bind ourselves on all the things that we agree upon. It turns out that when you look at policies and you start polling Americans, Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, on issues from gun control to abortion to the role of the government to taxation, when you po- when you pull them on policy, there's usually between seventy and ninety percent agreement among all Americans. It's only when you put the label of party um, all attached to a policy, the Democrats want this or the Republicans want that, that all of a sudden you find there's tons of rancor and there's tons of division. There is so much more that binds us together than what tears us apart. Chapter 15 was really one of the most important chapters, in my opinion. Uh, tell us the story about Zach and the social media. I'm so sorry. You have to remind me that the, the uh, oh, Jack, I okay, got it. Took me a second here to remember that, uh, which one you were talking about there. Yes. So I've got a very good friend who I named in the book, uh, Zach, uh, and he, beca- he became completely and totally obsessed in his online social world and also cable news network. He would uh, drive to work listening to, he would actually wake up in the morning and turn on the news, be sitting there eating breakfast while watching the news and sitting there grumbling and, and bitching about a political party. And then he would get in the car and then drive to work and then he'd be spending more time uh, listening to it. And then he would usually call his wife from his truck, once again, complaining more and more uh, about what he was reading on the news. Uh, and then he'd spend the rest of his day, usually at work, able to listen to podcasts and different radio shows while he was working, further ingraining in, in himself uh, into this world of political uh, rancor. Um, and he became completely obsessed. One day I called him up and he was raging on about a political party. And he said, you know, uh, Peter, if I could, I put a gun to every single one of their heads. That was the place that he had gotten to his level of hatred. I finally uh, had an intervention with him, got him to stop watching the the news and the media, completely went uh, cold turkey, consuming all news media. And within about a month, his anxiety was down. 
he was talking about things other than politics. We were able to tell jokes again. Uh, and his wife, uh, who I know, actually called me to thank me <laughs> because he had become such a bore uh, to be around and so incredibly um, uh, impossible uh, to live with. And yeah, a lot of Americans need an in intervention just like that. Now, what is the overall message you want to leave the readers with once they finish your book? My book, uh, The Second Civil War, A Citizen's Guide to Healing Our Fractured Nation, really is the first political self-help book. It is designed to help Americans uh, disentangle themselves from all of these feelings of anxiety and hatred and fear uh, toward their fellow Americans. It shares that politics is important. It, I do want uh, us to be well-informed and to vote and to protest when need be and to advocate for our, our points of view to our representatives. However, it's not nearly as important as we're making it out to be. For many people, politics has become their religion, and I don't mean a literal religion, metaphorically a religion, it has become their way of life. Um, and it isn't that important. So yes, follow politics. Yes, vote. But it does not need to be all consuming. It isn't nearly as important as you think. And if you don't believe me, go on a social media and news fast for one month. No social media, no news, no radio for a month. You won't die, I promise. But just notice how you feel. Notice the way you can walk into conversations and not feel like you're already cocked and hair triggered ready to explode. It is a life changing experience, not only for you, but also for your loved ones. I've taken up enough of your time. Can you tell us the next project you will be working on? Oh, wonderful question. I'm working on a book <laughs> about social status. <laughs> we live in a world uh, where we are constantly fighting to improve our social status. And this need for social status can be the source of so much of our suffering and of our infighting. So I really want to illuminate to people the world that we're living in, this social world that we're social status world that we're living in so we can understand it better reduce our suffering and have more harmony with our co-workers and our family well we'll be looking forward to that book thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you for having me <laughs>